Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. Thank you for joining us once again. We're really, really glad to be getting feedback. So please, if you are listening to it and you want to give us some feedback, any ideas for topics around HR tech advisory, HR technology, um, around transformation, adoption, change, employee experience, uh, well-being, you know, we're, we're keen to cover a wide gambit on this podcast. And We've been getting some really, really great feedback. So thank you for those of you that have been feeding back to us your ideas and things like that. And today it's a duet. It's a lace only duet because I have my second partner in crime. So I do a lot of these uh, podcasts, obviously, with Emily Onis, but it's my second partner in crime today. It's our uh, executive director for HR Tech Advisory, Mr. Bailey, Max Bailey. How are you doing, sir? Very good, Chris. Great to be here. Loving these chats. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, and we can all go and have a beer now as well inside a pub. So uh, you and I will shortly be doing that when we can get ourselves into London. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And it'll probably be one too many, I expect, and result in a, in a sore head the next day. Most certainly, most certainly. But our heads are clear uh, this morning as we are recording this podcast. And I wanted to take um, just a little bit of time today to have a chat with you about um, SI, the systems integrated, because We've been having a few debates internally uh, about the role that they play. Uh, and actually, we, we titled this podcast originally The Changing uh, Face of SIS. But you and I have just been having a bit of a debate uh, off air uh, about whether or not that face really has changed. So perhaps before we go into that, that particular debate, uh, could you just give me a bit of a kind of a bit of a background as to the evolution of SIS from, uh, and I don't want to make you feel old now because you were talking about the 90s, but just give us that talk about how that has evolved over time to where we're at at the moment. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Chris. And, and I was certainly you under the bus about, there. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking about the early 90s. Um, and, and weirdly, I feel, I feel younger every year that goes by, which must be a good thing and, and clearly part of working at LACE. But um, if I think back to the early 90s, um, you know, the concept of the SI was was quite different to what it is today. So so way back then, back in the olden days, back when, when life was in black and white before colour, colour was invented in the year 2000, um, it all was really around custom build. And it was about, um, you know, designing, building, testing, deploying platforms in COBOL, in C++, in C, those types of sort of early generation languages. It was really when things like Access, Paradox Windows, et cetera, were coming out where you could you know, do some screen painting or what have you. But the vast majority of the tooling that was available to the SI, to the, to the business transformation partner, to the technology transformation partner was around a tool set for custom building from the ground up. And so if I think of the role of the SI back in those days, it was all about providing large volumes of effort for designing, building, testing, and deploying complex systems, often that for the first time were being digitized or made electronic. You know, previously they'd been 
very rudimentary or they'd been manual processes or there'd been huge amounts of paper in the system. So back in those days, it was all about taking that vast quantity of paper and turning it into an electronic based system. And, you know, that's really where I guess even the terminology around information processing systems through the 80s and early 90s, you know, first came from, because it was about taking all of that paper and turning it into databases and simple, simple screens and often green screens. Then through the 90s, it clearly started to become much more Windows based graphical interfaces. And then sort of in the early to mid 90s, you started to see packaged applications appearing. So things like SAP, the early versions of PeopleSoft, eBusiness Suite, and, and the messaging around those platforms. And again, this is making me feel a bit old, Chris, I must admit, but the messaging around those platforms was that you could take these platforms and you could all rather than custom building from scratch, 70% or 80% of the functionality was already there and you could configure them and to be fair, customize them to extend them where necessary for your platform or for your business. And so the, the business case behind those packaged applications was we've already built 70% of it. Now, things like data, things like integrations were just as problematic then as they are today. But the core application itself, the core, the core functional application was very much a 70 percent. Here, here it is. We've done the work for you now. Just configure in, in minor extent. And, and that switch from you know, complete custom build to packaged applications, particularly for back office functions like finance or HR, where there's a huge amount of consistency across across process and across organization and in fact across country was a booming economy through the you know the mid to late 90s and it also fundamentally changed what you needed from your SI at that point in time you know gone were the days where you needed someone to design your database so um, you know gone were the days where you needed to do detailed um, screen flow design or layout design because a lot of that had already been done for you at least where we, you were using a packaged application until so we saw a massive switch in the skill sets needed from pure custom build projects to ones where you're implementing a product. Now, keep in mind that even till today, many front office platforms are still a custom build. So there isn't a package, you, a package you can buy for them. They're still a custom build. The tools have changed. They're more graphical. There's low code options. Often there's some code hiding under the bonnet if you look close enough. But, but fundamentally, the front office in many cases is still very much a custom build activity, whereas the back office, HR, finance, procurement, learning, is much more a packaged application space. You very seldom see custom build for the back office. And if you do, it, it probably means someone's set off to custom build themselves an HR system when they don't need to. Yeah. Now, that change in the in the skill sets required from the SIs in the in the 90s I think has continued. And, and if we think of, of what we mean by the changing face of the SI today, roll forward 20 years, roll forward 25 years. God, I am feeling a little bit old now, Chris, thank you. Um, but roll, roll forward 25 years. And what we're seeing is still the same pattern of skills that are needed. You still need the deeply technical skills around integration and around data for the packaged applications. But what you need for configuring the core cloud products is maybe more extreme than it was in the 90s, but it is still that business centric configuration functional skill set and business change skill set. So has the has the face of the SI actually changed from the from the late 90s to now? I think when it comes to configuring that packaged application piece, it's actually still very, very similar. 
even though the tools have changed, they're much easier to use, the experience is much better, but it is still fundamentally a business-centric business functional skill set that sits more on the business side than the technology side when it comes to the packaged application. Sitting around that, of course, you still need to have your deep technical skills, typically from IT, for, for integration and for, for data to get all of that underlying plumbing and infrastructure working. So I think we're, we're absolutely still seeing massive evolution in the SI market, but I think a lot of it is around the skills needed from the SI rather than the role of the SI. I mean, if you look out in the market at the moment, if you look at your, your big four, if you look at your large global system integrators, um, they're all massively hiring at the moment. They're all growing at a huge rate of, rate of knots. Um, some of them, I, you know, I've spoken to are growing faster now than they have for many years. There's always an exception, of course, and some might say that's the, that it's the post-COVID bounce. But, you know, to suggest that the SIs are not doing a booming business wouldn't, wouldn't be factually correct. Now, clearly, the SI business cycle is very much tied to transformation because it's all about bolting in new systems, bolting in new ways of working, bolting in your new, um, you know, your, your, your new transformation fundamentally. So the so the skills they're looking for, though, are continuing to evolve and they are becoming more business centric and they are becoming more about employee experience. But I think fundamentally, you know, when you're embarking on a cloud transformation and I'm talking about cloud transformations at scale versus, you know, a, a single process, single product, single country, single department thing. If you're talking about cloud transformation at scale, I would suggest that the role of the SI is, is, is just as important as, it, as it's always been, albeit the skill sets that are needed are continuing to switch to be more business focused and less technical focused as the tooling evolves and becomes easier to use. Yeah. So can I ask then, because we've talked about how there are some uh, uh, suggestions uh, that, you know, potentially the role of the SI is, is dwindling, as you've mentioned, and you think actually it's booming. And you talked about the complexity uh, with people, with organizations moving to cloud. Is it because of all of these systems, the oracles, the SAPs, and because they get more and more complex and they're bolting on more and more different types of products to their systems, that that's why we're seeing this kind of boom from the SIs because all of a sudden their remit is becoming a lot wider as some of these larger enterprises are chucking in more and more things into their product suite. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to that, Chris. I think I think it's about, although to be fair and in line with that same thought, the SI industry, similar to any professional services industry, similar to, to management consulting or the advisory work that we do, Chris, is very much driven by demand. You know, it's, it's hard to go out and create demand if it just fundamentally doesn't exist. And what we're seeing at the moment is a, is a bit of a post-COVID bounce, I would, I would suggest, but also a lot of pent-up desire for people to move to the cloud. You know, most of, most of the clients we're working with are still on an on-premise platform and they're trying to understand how to move from that on-premise to the cloud. To be, to be fair, once they've done that, and we'll see a huge amount of, of, of growth in this market, I think over the next two to five years, but once all of these organizations have moved to the cloud, they'll probably stay on those cloud platforms for at least 10 years, probably a decade. If you look across the, the you know, the, the clients that, that we have, many of them have been on those on-premise platforms for 10, if not 15 years. Yes, they may have upgraded them, 
but the but the one of the key, I guess, realizations about the market is that once you move your core system of record, you're probably going to stay on that that new core system of record for at least ten, well, at least five, if not ten, possibly even fifteen years, particularly in the cloud world where actually the system keeps itself evergreen, as it's often called, with a new release every three to six months. So you no longer have the option of moving to an on-premise version, freezing the code set and just staying on it apart from security patches. You actually have to upgrade and take the latest functionality every six to 12 months. Mm. So does that mean that in, say, three to five years' time, as everyone has moved to the cloud, that actually the role of the SI or the role of the, the professional services advisors will change. And I think it absolutely will. I think it'll mean that there's less demand for cloud transformation, but of course then we'll re reinvent ourselves as will everyone else to do the next wave of transformation. So if you thought of advisory businesses and SIs as effectively responding to a demand in the market for business transformation, the question will quickly become in the next three to five years, what is the next wave of business transformation after everyone's moved to the cloud? Yeah. So in, in a sense, the original question we said, the changing face of the SI, it's actually the changing face of uh, many organizations as they adapt to uh, where the market is shifting, really. That's the that's the kind of the key question. So one of the things that we talked about, again, just just before we came on air was um, the challenges of or I guess the dangers of not using an SI. So I'm hoping you can just give me just your thoughts on that, because one of the things obviously I said off air was, you know, we've we've seen more and more of the big platforms that are absorbing more and more different types of product suites rather than, you know, be, you know, five years ago where you'd have to go to five or six different organizations for their different type of tech that you wanted to implement it. You know, these big entities, these these large businesses are now trying to be a one size fits all. Um, so my question to you off air, because uh, I'm obviously not as au fait with this market as you are, was, well, why would you not just have that relationship with those enterprise platforms and yourselves and get them to support you in that build? So, and you you quite rightly pointed out some of the dangers. So if you can just elaborate on, on what you were just talking about there with why it's so important to get, and I guess as well, a good SI and what does a good SI look like? So I'll split that, the dangers of not using an SI, and then, you know, what does a good SI look like? Yeah, and, and actually, even before that, let me let me talk a little bit about the enterprise platforms, because it's, it's completely true to say that the enterprise platforms are rapidly expanding their functional scope, often, you know, adopting or replicating or, or acquiring some of the, you know, the vertical solutions or the edge, edge applications that bring you that new, creative, innovative sort of functionality. And, and that trend, I think, will just continue, and we just continue to see consolidation in the market over time of, you know, the big organisations acquiring the smaller ones. And many of those smaller ones, if I, was, if I was, you know, being candid, were probably set up to be sold to one of the big yeah. ones originally. You know, it's a it's a reasonably tried and true um, product development cycle or, or way to, you know, generate potentially large amounts of cash to set yourself up a product <laughs> business. Yeah, and get that yacht. Get, get it in the market and then sell it to one of the big providers to buy yourself a private yacht or, or sit on your sit on an island and count your money. If only we could do that. But um, but I, but I guess putting putting aside the, the product itself, because remember the product is almost like a building, if you will, 
the building is there, but it doesn't have tenants. It doesn't have, it's not been decorated. You've not kitted it out. So when you buy your, your packaged cloud application, it's like you've bought yourself a large building that you, you then need to actually decorate, kit out, populate with people to bring it to life. And so the big providers give you the, the empty building, if you will. You don't need to build it from scratch as you would have once had to do in a, in a custom build world. They'll give you the building that's 80% of what you want. Um, you then need a team of people to do the painting, the decorating, the designing, the architecting of, of how you're going to kit it out. Now, it's true to say that, that most of the large providers and many of the small providers have a professional services arm to do that kit out. Mm -hmm. It's always treated as a separate contract. Um, and, and, and part of the reason for that is they want to actively separate the accountability, I guess, commercially between providing the empty building and kitting it out. So you could get the the um, providers to deliver it, and many organisations do. However, there's a booming market outside of the the the, part, the the vendors or the software vendors to also do the implementation, to also do the kit out, and that's where the SIs come in. And the strengths of using an SI over perhaps you know the the product vendor is that they tend to bring some of their own IP. Um, they also tend to have a broader focus than just that particular product. So they'll have other they'll be they'll be more comfortable to work across a heterogeneous landscape. So if you're an organization that has SAP for one thing, Oracle for something else, you know, other other providers in there, you you're not going to get the Oracle team to work across the other the other tools. So actually having an SI that can provide you a capability, skills, IP across different products is one good reason to use an SI because it means you simplify your vendor landscape for the big spend, which is on the SI rather than the product. The dangers of not using an SI are that you, you then really need to either build the capabilities internally. And as we talked about earlier, the, the capabilities tend to come in waves around a transformation. So during the transformation, you may need 25 or 50 or 100% more people than you, you need for run, if not 300% more people than you need for run. And if you bring all of those people into your organization as perms, you're then stuck, you're not sort of stuck with them, it's a bit of a hard word, but you then need to find somewhere else to redeploy them to after the project. You could bring them as FTCs and let them go at the end, or you could bring them in as contractors. IR35 gives many organizations a challenge with that, but you know, so the but, but the real question is about the flexibility of the, the skill sets they have. Are they up to date? Do they use the same methodology? Do they use the same language? And can you commercially put a ring fence around them to get to an outcome? Now, if you use an SI, you can do all of those things. If you use a large group of disparate contractors, they're a bunch of individuals and you can't hold them collectively to account for delivery, which you can do with an SI. So there's, there's a huge set of benefits around, around using a client-side advisor for the client-side roles or using an SI and using an SI for the implementation. Um, but it mainly, again, comes down to availability of skill sets, currency of knowledge and commercial framework. And you could use the, and many people do use the vendor's professional services arm, but they tend to have a reasonably narrow focus compared to SIs or, or advisory firms. Okay, so then my, my next question is obviously what does a good SI look like? Because um, obviously we work with them, we we uh, we have partnerships with some. Uh, we're not going to name any names, obviously, as a uh, tech agnostic uh, business, uh, advisory business. But just from your perspective, what what are the attributes of a of a good SI for those people listening and thinking that they are uh, in search of one? 
Yeah, it's a really, it's a, it's a really, really good question, and and it's actually a, it's a, it's probably a bit of a sensitive question actually as well, because I think every organisation has <clears throat> a different set of buyer values. So there's definitely going to be values around price, cost. There's going to be values around delivery model. You know, is it onshore? Is it offshore? Is it a mixed economy onshore offshore model? It's going to be um, partly around the cultural fit. Mm-hmm. So, so it's all each SI almost has its own personality. Some are very collaborative. Some, some feel like it's a two-way conversation. Others feel like you're, you know, being being lectured. Maybe, perhaps, if I was to use an extreme example. Um, there's so it's a mixture of value, skills, cultural fit, and actually where you want to as much as anything, how you want the implementation to work. Because keeping in mind, typically an SI really only works on the implementation. Mm. You know, the, the old analogy I use, and, and very much when I was a, an SI, was that, you know, the if the implementation was a party, then the, the then the SI is the guest at the party. And whilst the SI needs to be a good good guest at the party, the person that's hosting the party needs needs to create a party in which it's fun for everyone to be there. Yeah. You know, if you create a commercial dynamic where either the client or the SI is is felt, felt a bit put upon, then that that transformation, that project is probably not going to feel like a great party for anyone. Um, now, SIs also do a roaring trade in what we would call application management services, which is the ongoing run service. But today we're really talking about the, the implementation of them. Yeah, and maybe that'll be uh, that'll be one for another podcast. But um, just before we uh, we wrap up today, actually, because this was it's been a quick one, but um, I think there's been lots of really interesting information in there for hopefully for people to take away. Is there any kind of advice that you would give to HR teams that are looking at engaging with SIs? Um, any sort of takeaway points that you want to leave our listeners with uh, from today's podcast? Um, I think. Most important, most important two or three things would be be clear what it is you want to buy. Um, you know, because when, when an organization goes out to shop for an advisory partner or an SI, an AMS partner, or a new piece of software, um, there's plenty of people out there in the market that will, similar if you go into a car and into a used car sales lot, for example, or go shopping for a car, there's plenty of options out there. But ultimately, you need to be clear in your mind of what it is you want to buy and how you want to buy it. So being clear on your requirements, being clear on your scope, being clear on potential budget and realistic on the implementation, doing some of that upfront, I guess, almost cloud readiness thinking or, or business upfront technology roadmap and, and business case thinking will allow you then to be much better positioned to select the products and the SI that, that will work best for you. Cool. Brilliant. Well, Max, um, really good chatting to you today. Thank you very much for your time. Appreciate uh, your busy man at the moment, as, as we both know, but uh, it's been really, really good chatting to you. Great, Chris. It's, it's always a pleasure. And I look forward to catching up on the next one of these soon. Brilliant. Uh, as you uh, may already know, if you are a regular listener, you can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, or you can just visit our website, lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. And of course, through all of those channels I mentioned, you can also subscribe as well. If you want to leave us a comment about your thoughts, then uh, that would be really lovely too. But from myself and from Max, thank you very much. And we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive podcast. Bye.